welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. Uh, Welcome to you in the house and to those online. I'm Ashley, assisting the team here. I'm introducing the reading today. It's a little bit different. Um, And we go to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, which is the parable of the lost sheep. We know it well. And I can imagine Jesus telling that uh, parable and looking around at the crowd and thinking, They don't get it. And so he tells the parable of the lost coin. And still looking around the crowd, they still don't get it. And so the first part of our reading today, Luke 15, verse 11 and following. Thanks, Sarah. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in the wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened lamb and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The Way of Grace miniseries began two Sundays ago with Luke 14 as we considered the position, which of course is humility. Continuing in Luke 14 last Sunday, it was the price, which of course the price is everything. The third and final message from Luke chapter 15, the prodigal, which is of course the hardest chapter to find in the Bible. Why is Luke 15 the hardest chapter? Because it's the lost chapter, friends. Thank you very much. I'm appearing to the end of the year. Um, We all know the story, don't we, of the prodigal son. I thought I knew about it too until I read some uh, teachings by Timothy Keller back in 2009. And for those who have read him, you'll hear some of his uh, teaching here. Now, according to the dictionary, prodigal means spendthrift, extravagant, generous to a fault, even wasteful. 
One Bible commentator explains the story this way. I'm fed up, verse 12. Dad's a good guy, but life's so boring, that's all going to change today. Verse 13, I'm free. I can't believe it. I'm out on the road, free at last. No more Sunday worship, no more family devotions, no more home by midnight, no more boredom, free to choose my friends, free to try what I want to be, free to be me. Watch out, world, here I come. I'm famished. I'm sure I had more money in that bag. Where did it go? I couldn't have spent it already. Where are my friends? I'm filthy. I can't believe this from the beautiful people to pigs, from parties to pigsty. I never thought pig slops could look so tasty. The pigs make me sick. I make myself sick. What can I do? What a mess. I'm foolish. What am I doing? Look at what I've given up and look what I've gained. I've been such a fool. Come on, think, man. Even Dad's servants have better life than this. Maybe I should. No, no, I couldn't. I'm finished. Okay, I'm done. I can't take any more of this. I'll go home and ask Dad for forgiveness and beg for mercy and hopes he takes me in as a servant. I'm forgiven. Who's that on the hill? Looks like Dad looking for one of his lost sheep. Oh, now he's running in this direction. I I wonder if he saw me. My son, my son, my son, welcome home, my son, my son. Oh, Dad, please don't call me your son. I don't deserve that. I'm so sorry. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I I know I don't deserve this, but just being one of your servants would be so huge. Servant, never, 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 you are my son, always and ever my son. No, Dad, it's not right, not right. You are my son, you were lost and dead and now you have been found alive. You certainly are my son. We're going to celebrate and have such a good time. Let's party. So there's Act 1, the younger son. God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin and wrongdoing. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've deliberately upset, annoyed, oppressed, hurt anyone or how much you've abused yourself. The younger brother knew that his father's house, in his father's house, there was uh, food, abundant food to spare. But he also discovered that there was grace to spare. I love that Jesus' parable shows the father pouncing on his son in love, not only before he has a chance to clean up his life and show that he's had a change of heart, but even before he can recite his repentance speech. You see, folks, there is no evil that God's love cannot pardon and cover, and there is no sin that is a match for God's grace. That's the way of grace. Remember, prodigal means spendthrift, extravagant, generous to a fault, even wasteful. Act 1 demonstrates the lavish prodigality of God's grace. The Father's love and acceptance are absolutely free. Nothing, not even abject contrition, merits the favour of God. But as I said last week, and I'll quote, God's grace, God's unmerited gift to us, salvation, reconciliation, or being put right with God, is entirely free, but it is not cheap. Not cheap for Jesus who pays the price of a broken relationship upon the cross, and not cheap for us because it costs us 
everything and yet nothing. So if God's grace is not cheap, in this parable of the youngest son, who then pays the price of his sin? Who atones for his wayward actions? Sarah is going to bring us part two of the reading. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. His father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. When the elder brother hears of the return and reinstatement of the younger brother, he is furious just plainly. He refuses to go into what is perhaps the biggest party his father has ever put on. And in so doing, it is his turn to disgrace his father. He remains outside the door, publicly casting a vote of no confidence in his father. And in response, the father comes out to speak to his older son. It was countercultural enough when the father ran to the younger brother, and it's still countercultural and even demeaning for the host to leave the great feast and then to top it off, the father, the host, pleads, begs with the eldest son to come in. See, all these actions are not what is expected of the father. To the listeners, this is a different kind of father. The father runs to meet the younger son and lavishes him with love before he is cleaned up either physically or theologically. The father leaves the party and goes to the angry, resentful older son. It's a double-edged sword. On one side we have the unclean and yet repentant son and on the other is the morally upright, ritually clean son and both are as lost as each other. One ran away and got lost, the other one stayed home and got lost. And it shows that even the most religious, moral people need the initiating grace of God. They are just as lost as everyone else. And what it shows in particular is there is hope. Hope even for the hard-hearted religious leaders. That's the way of grace. And this is particularly amazing when we remember that, that Jesus' audience here are those who will be turning him over to the Roman authorities for execution. Jesus is pleading in love with his deadliest enemies. The God of the way of grace not only loves the wild, living, free-spirited people, but also the hardened religious people. 
But there's still more to be gleaned from this parable. In this larger context of Luke 15, even more surprising is the way the elder brother acts towards the younger. So if we go back to the start of chapter 15, as I read earlier, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. I love that, mutter, mutter, mutter. This man welcomed sinners and eat with them, and Jesus told them this parable. First parable, the sheep is lost. Instead of accepting the loss, the shepherd goes and seeks it out, finds it, returns, rejoices with his neighbour and party time. They, the religious leaders, don't get it. The second parable is needed. A coin is lost. Instead of writing it off, a careful search is carried out. The coin is found. Friends and neighbours are called together uh, to rejoice in verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is a rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. They still don't get it, and so the parable of lost son, which ends with a party. Now, the similarities among these stories are somewhat obvious. Something is lost, sheep, coin, son. In each one, the one who loses something gets it back. In each one, there is much rejoicing at the loss being found. But there is one striking difference in this last parable. In the first two, someone goes out to search for that which is lost. And it appears that there's nothing to distract him from that search until they find what is lost. And by the time we get to this third story, there is an expectation that there will be a search for the lost son. Yet no one does. There is no search. So in this larger context, who should have gone to search for the lost son? Well, remember who Jesus is talking to? Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, who would all be well, very well acquainted with another brother story in their scriptures, in what we know as Genesis 4, the story of Cain and Abel, where God basically says, you are your brother's keeper. In Jesus' parable, a true elder brother would have said, Father, my fed-up, free, famished, filthy, foolish younger brother is lost. I will go and look for him and bring him home. And in so doing, the elder brother would pay the price to bring the lost son home. Yes, the elder brother would pay the price because as the younger brother left and took his inheritance, which would have been one third of what was, he spent it. You don't get it back when you spend it. So my bank account tells me. (laughs) So to restore the younger, the elder would give him a share of that which is his. But this elder brother didn't. This elder brother was morally upright, religiously uptight and seemingly indifferent to the plight of his younger brother. So linking back to the previous chapter, parts one and two of this series, the older brother considered that his position was at the head of the table and he was certainly unwilling to pay the price required to live out his so-called moral high road and in so doing he demonstrated his incapacity to give or receive the love of the father the way of grace was deflected by his moral pride so by putting this flawed elder brother into the story Jesus is inviting us and even encouraging us to imagine and even yearn for a true elder brother. Now remembering of course that Luke wrote this account after the death and resurrection of Jesus Luke knows that we do have a true older brother. 
Luke knows that we have an elder brother that would not just travel to the next country to find us, but who would give up any divine privileges and be humble enough to travel from heaven to earth. Luke knows that the true elder brother is not only willing to pay the, a finite amount of money, but is willing to pay the infinite price of his own life to bring us back into relationship with the Father. So who are we in this story, friends? Well, we're certainly not the father or the true elder brother, so we can write that off. So that leaves us with either the elder brother of the story or the younger brother. It doesn't really matter because both have rebelled against the father. Both deserve alienation, isolation and rejection. And yet we see the amazing grace of the father who continues to yearn for the lost children despite their rebellion. That's the way of grace. We are the sons and the daughters of this lost chapter in Luke. One, as one elegant preacher put it far better than I could, so I'll just quote, we need hope for our hurt. We need cleansing for our, from our corruption. We need redemption from our ruin. We need justification from our condemnation. We need sanctification from our situation. So the point of this parable, in fact, the point of this entire lost chapter, three parables, one story, is this. For the lost to be found, someone has to pay. The shepherd pays the price by searching for the sheep until it's found. The woman woman pays the price by searching and sweeping until the lost coin is found. Our true elder brother, that is Jesus of course, paid the price by giving up all that he was to become as he became one of us. And in so doing, the price he was willing to pay culminated in his death on the cross because as we all know, the wages of sin, our sin, is death. On that cross, he was stripped naked so that we could be clothed with the dignity and righteousness that we do not deserve. There he was treated as an outcast so that that we could be brought into God's family. There he drank the cup of eternal justice so that we might have the cup of the Father's joy. Our true elder brother takes away the sin of the world. That is the way of grace. And because of that, our hearts can be emptied of our pride-filled self and filled with the love and joy of God. How good is that, friends? To conclude, I just want to notice something important. It's often overlooked, and we find it in the last two verses of Luke 15, 31 and 32. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. So we know the, the, the first son, lost and found, dead and alive. But look at this. The morally upright, religiously uptight and seemingly indifferent older brother is still referred to as my son. My son who has everything that the father has. My daughter who has everything that the father has. My child who has everything that the father has. We who have everything that the father has. How good is that? Come on, how good is that? Act 1 demonstrates the lavish prodigality of God's grace. 
Act 2 confirms this lavish prodigality. In fact, we have a prodigal God. God's grace, God's mercy, God's love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on us. And that's the way of grace. The way of grace is extravagant, generous to a fault, even wasteful. And it's here right now for our receiving. Can you see? So let's celebrate. As the band comes up, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Ah, gracious God, we do thank you that the way of grace is beyond our capacity of understanding. The way of grace is so deep and rich and full that it just blows my mind every time I even begin to glimpse it. And so my plea in my short time here is that we would know or glimpse your grace and respond to it in in ways that you call us. So bless this community gathered here today, those who are separated by time and circumstance, those who are online. May each of us know the way of grace because it is here. Receive it. You never give up. You never run out. You are ours. Thank you, God. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.